I'm going to speak about prophecy. You might have got a, a kind of hint of that with what Mark um, said and what he showed on the overhead. It's the next chapter in the book that we're looking at in terms of how we hear God. And often this whole concept of prophecy is left out because it feels so often something kind of esoteric or way beyond us ordinary mortals. It's kind of for those who are really in tune and special. And I want to say categorically and clearly, prophecy is for everybody. Every single person who is a follower of Jesus is able to prophesy because it has this thing of Isaiah and Jeremiah that we think, not for us, it's for those kind of people. Then what we've done in the church so often is we've, when people actually have a gift where they understand what it looks like, we put them on a stage and they're the ones who dispense this kind of prophetic thing as though... Now, let's be careful. As though they are more special than anyone else. And they're not. When we look, and we will in a second, at Paul, we understand this. The Spirit of God is given for all of us. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verse 18, and it says, Be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's an injunction to all of us. And so we are people who... Of the Spirit. We are filled with God's Spirit. And we need to continually ask for that sense of being overwhelmed with the fullness of God. The Spirit of God is for all people. And therefore, prophecy is for all of those who follow Jesus. Now, the logic will make itself evident, I hope, in a second. But before we get to Corinthians, the scripture I've chosen to read this morning is Exodus. Exodus chapter 3, and it's a passage you know well, but I'm going to read it anyway because I'll come back to it. It's fundamental to this understanding of prophecy. It's about Moses, and it's Moses tending his father-in-law's sheep. He's married Jethro's daughter, and he's now a shepherd, this man who's grown up in the learning of Egypt. And it says this in verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush, and he looked and said, the bush is burning with fire, but it's not being consumed. Moses said to himself, I must turn aside and have a look to see this marvelous thing, a bush that is burning and not being burnt up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him from the middle of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. Now, I don't know about you, if that happened to me, I don't know how I'd react. My name being called from in the middle of a burning bush. And he says, here I am. What else do you say? Let's face it. He then said, this is God. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because their taskmasters, because of their taskmasters, and I'm aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, 
to a place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. And now, look, the cries of the sons of Israel have come to me, and I have seen their oppression, which the Israels are inflicting on them. So far, so good. Then God continues in this vein, and he says, Therefore, come now, I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. We all want to hear God's voice. Not so? That's what we're talking about. That's what this whole book is about. We all want to hear what God has to say. Let's face it, pretty dumb if you don't want to. Because God is God. Who doesn't want to hear what God has to say? Well, Moses, apparently. But Moses said to God, Who am I that, you sh that I should go to Pharaoh and should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? Then what God says is this. Here are the ten steps that you will take that will make sure that they are set free. Number one. That's my inserted verse there between verse 11 and 12. This is what God says. I'll be with you. And this will be the sign that it is you I have sent. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll come and worship God at this mountain. You'll know that it's me because, I, number one, I will be with you. I'll be present. How do I know God? God doesn't give it any instructions. No sense of, well, I'll do this and this and this and this for you. Or I'll speak in an audible voice like I'm doing now or whatever. He doesn't give him a thing, not a stitch. And he says, how will you know? Well, you'll bring all the children of Israel, all those millions of people suffering under oppression, out cross through the Dead Sea and you will come back to this mountain and worship me here. Then you'll know that it's me. Yeah, right. I mean, can you imagine? That's the, that's the missive that you get. I remember still powerfully how God spoke to me when I changed course and moved from what I had planned with my life and uh, suddenly took a completely different tack because he spoke so clearly to me. The way he spoke to me was through Scripture. But it was a scripture that popped into my head that I had no idea what it was. I looked at it. It was like it struck home to me. It's like the road to Emmaus where my heart burned within me. And I knew that was God speaking to me for that moment to do that particular thing. And I, and I changed tack entirely. Went to study theology. We will hear God. And that's one of the things that the book brings out very clearly that we will hear God because God speaks to us. But like Samuel, the young boy, not the Samuel, but I trust the Samuel also hears God. But the young boy Samuel with Eli and God says to him, Samuel, Samuel. And he jumps up and runs to Eli and says, you called. And Eli says, no, silly boy, go back to bed. And God speaks again. And again, he goes back and he says, no, it's not me. Go back to bed. Third time, God speaks to Samuel. He goes back and Eli suddenly twigs and he says, go back. Next time it happens, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God 
It sounded to Samuel like his, his old friend, his mentor, his father figure. It sounded like his voice. It didn't sound some strange booming thing out of the sky. It sounded so familiar. It was ordinary. And I really believe with all my heart that God speaks to every single one of you more often than you know. Genuinely, more often than you know. But because it doesn't come with a banner in the sky or a megaphone, or it doesn't come as a WhatsApp, it goes right over our heads. It's gentle, little, small. It's those things. And if we start to say, God, where did I miss you today? Where were you speaking? If we, we, we begin to interrogate and we learn what it is, we will be able to see it when it comes. I said we were going to look at 1 Corinthians briefly. Let's skip that one and go straight to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In the beginning of this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in most of your Bibles it will be headed about spiritual gifts and about what comes next. And chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, we call them the chapters about spiritual gifts. Now, just as an aside briefly here, at just about every wedding, people want 1 Corinthians 13 read. 1 Corinthians 13 is stuffed in the middle of Paul's discussion about gifts and about the spiritual things. And he basically stops himself in mid-sentence and he says, do you know what? The most important thing is love. And when it comes to prophecy, what, um, what's his name? What's his name in the book? Who wrote the book that we're looking at? Pete Gregg. What he says is that, now what did he say? Shucks, guys. <laughs> anyway. I interrupted myself and now I can't remember what I was saying. How embarrassing. The point about, oh, the point about 1 Corinthians 12 in verse 1, it talks about uh, pneumaticoi, spirituals. We have said it's gifts. It's about what it means to be spiritual. So because we have historically from the sort of Reformation through till now, grappled with the fact that God speaks to us so personally and so openly and so frequently, we've made it something like a gift. But the Greek word actually means what it means to be spiritual. Pneuma, spirit, pneumaticoi, spirituals. It's, it's, it's hard to describe it as, a, as an English word. That's why they've stuffed in the word gifts. And we talk glibly as though they are spiritual gifts. And yes, in a way, they are in the sense that God gives them to us. But it's really what Paul's saying is, to be spiritual is to hear God and to be part of what he is saying to the world. So whether it's prophecy or tongues and interpretation or healing or all these other things that we call gifts, all that's happening is that God is present with us. And he's expressing his love and who he is and his intention for everybody to, that they be made whole and saved through us. 
So now concerning spiritual matters, he says, I don't want you to be unaware. And then he talks about a whole lot of spiritual matters. And he comes to the end of what we call chapter 12. And he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, how many of you have a great desire for a spiritual gift? For a spiritual, spiritual matters. And then he talks about love. And then when he's finished talking about love in chapter 13, how does he link it back to what he was saying? So this is the end of chapter 12, where he says, earnestly desire the greater gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Pursue love, but earnestly desire spiritual gifts or spirituals, spiritual matters, especially that you may prophesy. And then he talks about it some more. And then he says, verse... Um, 29? Where is it now? I marked it. I sure, I'm sure I marked it. Not doing well this morning. Sorry, guys. But he, he, again, he says, earnestly desire, long for, look for, reach for these things that are spiritual things. And then he says, especially that you may prophesy. We've put it right down at the bottom of the list of things. Who wants to be able to prophesy? To, to hear something from God and be able to give it to somebody else. That's all the prophets did. You saw in the clip. They got something from God and they gave it. Sometimes it was to say, you guys are not being that good. Here's what you ought to be doing. In chapter 13, and, and chapter 14, sorry, at the beginning of the chapter, in verse 3, he says, all of these things that we do, after having spoken about love, he says, all of these spiritual gifts, including prophecy and especially that, are for edification, exhortation, and comfort. That's the old King James. It's to encourage you, to build you up, and to give you a sense of being in the comfort and care of God. That's what the gifts are for. Sometimes they may be difficult. But essentially, that's what these spiritual matters are all about. To increase the sense of God's presence of his power and his love in everyone's life. Now, I'm not going to go this morning into the details of how we get a message from God. You know the whole thing of maybe images or pictures. I personally, most of the time, if I have something for somebody, will be in the form of a scripture. I just get a scripture and I'll go and look at it and say, all right, okay, that's for Randall, okay, Give Randall that scripture. But we all hear God, we all process it, and we all are called to give it to others, to pray for people. Why did I read Exodus? And I'm going to finish here because um, I think Mark and Chris are um, being stretched to the limit in the room next door. <laughs> Exodus 3. Why did I read this passage about Moses? Because essentially what you and I want is exactly what Moses wanted. He wanted some clarity of how this is going to happen. He wanted, if you go to any one of these um, um, things where you get articles that come streaming at you. I can't remember the one I get now. But you get all these things that come at you. It's the five things that um, Elon Musk has read in the last four years. The three things that are best if you're suffering with depression. 
the two things that you must do if you want to be successful in business. There's all these little steps that people must take. Don't miss out. Everything these days is about these certain number of things that you need to do. You need to do this, 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 and this, and then you will be successful. Moses says to God, you know, this is a great task, but how am I going to... And then he throws up all the questions and says, all the roadblocks, why I shouldn't be the one. All that God says to him, and this is crucial for you and I, Moses is regarded as one of the great prophets of Israel. How many times did he stand up and say something about the future? Almost never. That wasn't the issue. It was about the fact that he heard God and that he told the people what was coming next. He was, he was a listener, a lifelong listener. That's what it means to be prophetic, to have a prophecy, to do something prophetic for another, is to hear what God is saying in whatever way it comes and in a gentle way that is both encouraging and um, building up and comforting to give it to people. We talk in the vineyard about disclaimer language. I've had so many people come and say, the Lord says this is what's going to happen to you. And I say, well, he didn't tell me. Because there's no room to escape then. If someone comes and says, this is what God says and this is what's going to happen to you, you've got no place to go. What we say is that when you have something that you feel God is saying to you, and maybe for someone else, whether it's about last week or the week before, I can't remember, one of the ladies came to me after the service and said, I think God is saying something about someone's hip or knee, I can't remember. And that's the point. What we do then is say, we think, or get a sense, or I have this impression we use what is known as disclaimer language. In other words, I'm not entirely certain because I'm, I'm not God. And I will make mistakes. I think making mistakes, to be frank, is part of the story. But I will, I will give you this be, and you make of it what you want. I will dis discharge my responsibility to be faithful and say to you that I think that this is what... I had an image of a rainbow with... Um, a field of white daisies at the bottom. That's meaningless to me, but it may be meaningful to that person. Or, I don't know why God has given me Psalm 33 verse 1, but I give it to you. It says this. You know, let's pray about it. What you do is you give the person the responsibility that God is actually speaking to them, and it's meaningful, and sometimes it's very powerful, but they have to process it together with God. It's not my responsibility. I am simply the messenger. You get it? So it needs to be um, done carefully and with wisdom. The point with Moses, and this is the end, is that God says to him, Moses says, who am I? I you, know, you know, you've got this wrong, he tries to say. We're we, we, we on the way. Come through. Is that he says to him, I will be with you. The presence of God is all that we need. That's all that we need. The presence of God. When Jesus leaves his disciples, he says, I will be with you. 
always, even to the end of the age. The presence of God is what's necessary. I can give you a hundred one, two, threes about prophecy and what you shouldn't, shouldn't do and how it would be done best. It's like Moses. God's saying to you and you and you and you, earnestly desire these spirituals, these spiritual things, and even mostly to prophesy. How? Well, you may have an image, a verse, a scripture, something or other. Be willing, number one, to pray and recognize that it's about the presence of God.